Welcome to No Ordinary Story with Helen Lee, founder and creative director of Rosette Designs & Co, a wedding and event company in Singapore, where she talks to ordinary people who create extraordinary life by overcoming their challenges and building something amazing. And this is their story, true and true. This month, we are talking to an outstanding person in the art scene with career spans to about 30 years. So, Kelvin Tan. Hello, welcome, Kelvin. Hey, hi. Thank Hello. you. Thank you, Helen. Good to see you again. Yes. Kelvin is a writer, musician, and art educator. He's written two novels, a few short and full-length plays, a film script, and has produced, listen, over 150 albums for more than 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Some of which are available on Spotify and Bandcamp. Mm. He's also the lead guitarist for seminal homegrown rock and roll band, The Odd Velos. Mm. And for 16 years, he has been adjunct lecturer for the LaSalle College of the Arts, teaching a whole range of subjects and helping set up the Putnam School of Film. So, Kelvin, mm. you have produced about 150 albums. Yeah. That is a lot. So, it's about six album a year? Yeah. Actually, uh, for me, I don't uh, like release six every year standard-wise, but uh, it's a sporadic number. Sometimes it's three, then sometimes I release ten, then sometimes I release five. So it depends on what I feel like doing that year and and, and whether I'm in the mood to do more or less music. But I, I release um, music every year. I try to make an effort to release every year. Oh, okay. So tell us, what's the creative process to do like one album? Yeah, well, for me, uh, I started out being a singer-songwriter, you know. Uh, I was influenced by all the folk musicians. And then as years went by, I became more influenced by all kinds of music. Well, for example, um, dance music, improvisational jazz music, avant-garde, noise, punk, and uh, experimental kind of music. Lah. So what I do is that I try to incorporate all these influences in the music I do. And that's one of the reasons why every year I'll come out with a few albums because maybe one album I'll do like uh, folk, more folk-oriented music and then the other album I'll do something more experimental to free my mind. So, uh, but as the past few years, uh, uh, I've gone on to the field of improvised music. So what I do is that when I go into a studio, I don't even know what I'm going to play. I just take the guitar into the studio and then I just have a theme and an idea. And then from there, I'll improvise uh, songs. So it's purely improvis uh, improvisational songs. So I've been doing this for the past maybe four or five years. And the reason why I do it is because I just got so tired of the usual verse, tensor, chorus. I got so tired of the usual stuff and I decided what will happen if I throw caution to the wind and just go in there and just risk it and see where I go. So I'm able to kind of like uh, create more purely from what I'm, from my own heart and soul, you see. So I've been doing this for the past few years and uh yeah, I've been happy with what's going on. Although um, it is, of course, not your usual mainstream stuff, but um, 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 it's something that I believe in doing. So what does each album means to you? Do you have any goal or target to it? Well, maybe a special year will be 2017 because my father passed away. So what I did was I improvised three albums and dedicated to him. So one album is more folk-oriented. That album is an experimental kind of uh, album with my drama. And the other one is like more jazz, jazz uh, vocal improvisation. But the thing about it for me uh, is that uh, I'm one of those guys who kind of like create purely for my own expression. I, I don't really have ambitions of uh, making it uh, like, you know, world stage or something because I've never been like that ever since I was a kid. Lah. I've always done, always believe in passion for its, uh, passion for its own end. Lah as a learning process. So I'll just do the albums and then I'll just release it. I'll put it out on Spotify, I'll put it out on Bandcamp and 
do a couple of newspaper articles here and there. I've been quite fortunate because I've been quite supported by the media in Singapore. And then the rest, the, the rest is up to the, it's, it's up to destiny. So your artwork is really an expression of your yes. creativity, the purest expression. 100%, yeah. You talk a lot about your father. Yes. How did he influence you growing up? Sure. Yeah, uh, I come from a very normal kind of um, working class family. Like my father worked in the telecoms for a long time and my mom was a nurse. And uh, actually, I've got an older brother and younger sister and there wasn't that kind of cultural environment that usually people have like, if they become artists. Like. So for me, it was just a self-discovery. Like. I decided I wanted to do art because I was inspired by music that I listened to and books that I read. And the thing about my dad is that my dad has always been uh, quite a big, uh, he, he's a lover of the English language. He's a, he, 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 he's a, quite a walking dictionary. So he always encouraged us to do a lot of reading and do a lot of writing. And when he realized that I had to, that I was going to take the very difficult path, uh, which, you know, at back in those days, you're talking about the 80s or 90s, there was no support for artists, very little support, a lot more now, but last time was really scant. So, he, but he still supported me. He just said, do what you want, be honest, be a good person, do what makes you happy, but just just remember to be to be a good person. Uh. And he he will help me, uh, like when it came out my first book, the one that just passed you, he helped me type it. Uh, he helped me look through the proofs. Um, he never, never discouraged me at all. And he always encouraged, uh, he always let me do what I wanted to do. So as a result, that's how I'm able to do what I'm doing now. It gave me the strength to, to do what I want. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, it's rare. Yeah, it's yeah, very rare. So your yeah. father is like your supporter. Yeah, and also the thing about my dad is that, I mean, I, I read I read it in an article of a psychologist said that the role of a dad's a, a father, right, is to in a way guide the children, you know, to discover their strengths and lead them there. La. I think that's what he did for me. Uh. So that's one reasons why, I mean, I myself do not have children, but that's one reasons why for me, uh, I really, really love the students in school because I feel that uh, I mean also because I don't have children so I find I have more time to spend time with students I always love spending time with students because it reminds me of what my dad used to do for me uh. he used to help me motivate me by by being there for me you know what I'm saying so that's why I decided that arts education was something I wanted to do I think that passion really shown even in LaSalle I remember you being a figure like a fathering figure oh, thank and you. you are not just lecturer but you are really mentoring feels like you care for your students a lot thank you so much uh, that means a lot to me thank you so much I'm very humbled by it thank you so how does it feel growing up in the 80s where art is not celebrated and the support is very little yeah I mean uh, I was born in 64 so that means I was a 70s kid and in the 80s it was like a new wave and all that right and the thing about it all is that um we were under a different government. And to be honest with you, I really, uh, I can tell you out frankly that I have a lot, nothing but the highest regard for for the government. But the thing is that during that time, right, um, I think Minister Mentor Lee had to lay down the rules because, you know, things were a bit in chaos. So as a result, um, 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 for better or for worse, lah, I think the arts was a lot less encouraged than it was, you know. Uh, I'll give you a good example. In the 60s, right, Singapore was a very, very thriving rock and roll pop kind of culture. There were bands making it big around the world. The Quares, Naomi and the Boys and all that, the Cyclones. And then when the government came in in, uh, in, the, 50, in the 60s, right, what happened was that all that was discouraged because of the drug culture and all that. So as a result, um, as the years went by, we had this big gap between the 70s and 80s, you see. So um, by the time I came up, uh, um, 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 there wasn't any support in that way for artists. So in order to do that, I was 
really, really very beyond difficult because that means you have to say, um, I cannot have support from anyone because there's not going to be, how am I going to support? So that's one of the reasons why I decided I should support myself, get a degree, which I did, and and teach art education. At least I'm getting paid for that so I can do my music. Mm. So that's why as the years went by, I decided to do that and it has worked out very well for me. Lah, you know? And luckily, I have an education because a lot of these bands in the 60s, 70s, they didn't really study very much in school. <clears throat> mm. they, they just wanted to be like musicians and they suffered a lot because you don't have the education, you can't do other things besides music, you see. Mm, yeah. And it's happening again now, you notice, right, with the COVID, which is very interesting because that means there are people who are university degree holders in bands, right, because of COVID, they have to do other things now, right, because mm. the whole music scene is no longer in operation because of the COVID. Yeah. So it's a very different scenario, but similar in some ways. Yeah. You you took a degree in uh, NUS, right? Yes, yes. Literature. Yes, I did. And I did uh, philosophy, uh, uh, majors in philosophy and literature. And uh, at that time in NUS, right, uh, I was very lucky because, let me give you an example, I did literature, right? Our tutorial was just six of us and we were in the lecturer's office. And then she will serve us tea and biscuits and we sit down there, sit down there we talk about Charles Dickens, we talk about T.S. Eliot. So it was a very wonderful time where we had special attention so it was it was a great time for me and i learned a lot which actually uh coincidentally i passed down in LaSalle because a lot of what i do in nus uh, i realized i could use in LaSalle mm. to teach people so that was incredible what did you teach in LaSalle um i start okay this is a story the story is that um i was doing i was uh down and out for some time and then in the 90s uh because my friend ian wu right who's right now He's right now, Dr. Ian Wu, right now a lecturer in fine art, masters in fine art at LaSalle. But back then, he was a good friend of mine, he used to play in bands. Then he says, when you teach in LaSalle? So what I did was, this is 2001, 2002, a few years before I met you. And I went there and I got interviewed by Milenko. And Milenko hired me. And then what happened is that I went in there and I started to realize this is what I could do well. That I could actually do, uh, I could actually um, make a difference to the students in LaSalle. So I started out teaching critical uh, art, art theory and critical theory to PA students in fine art. And then what happened was that um, I was approached by uh, Wolfgang. Um, by then, he, he has just come into LaSalle to teach in media arts. And that's how I got to know Chiping. So we started, I started teaching creative writing. That's where we met. Uh, creative writing to the different levels in, in, in uh, media arts. And then after that, from there, they liked what I did. And they said, oh, we're going to start off a film school. And then you start up film school. So that's how I set up the Putnam School of Film. So uh, I took the first batch of film students. And then um, recently they had a real change in policy. So they they actually uh, uh, took away a lot of part-timers. So I, I, I didn't get my job. I, I My contract wasn't extended uh, since like 2017 or 18. Lah. So since then I've been doing a lot of different arts education freelance jobs here and there. Yeah, right now I'm pending... Uh, Getting some work with the one of the polytechnics, uh, it's not been confirmed yet. Hopefully, I get something from there. Because I I I wanna I wanna try to push art education beyond. Because in LaSalle, it's an art college, right? But if I go in the polys, then I make a difference to a wider range of students. That's what I want to do, yeah. So art education beyond art college, I think that's a great idea because poly is known to be technical, but if the student are taught to do creative thinking to questions to have innovative thinking it will be very beneficial for them I say amen to that that's exactly what I feel exactly that's why I'm thinking in poly right 
you can actually diffuse wider strands right, of society in Singapore and you can make a difference in the way you think about things like creative writing. You know, I remember I used to go into all your studios when you were doing animation, stop, stop motion and all that, right? I mean, they don't, you know, these things are creative ideas. If I could push it down to the police, right, at least they have more all-round ideas, right? Not just about art, but about creating, which goes into like the way they write their speeches, leadership qualities, right? I think these are assets which we need right now for the youth. Lah. True. Creativity is all about thinking outside the box. And it shouldn't be limited to just artists or designer, right? That's, that's, that's exactly it. Lah. That's exactly for me. And I mean, I love design. You know, last time we had the design department, you know, when they do their presentations, right? All the stuff, right? It's just beautiful, lah, paper and concepts and all that. Yeah. And for me, also the other thing is that it's very, it's very, it's very exciting for me to see connections. Like how do you connect design to literature, literature to philosophy, philosophy to music? How do you design, connect that to architecture? How do you con connect that to, to other ideas? And then from there, once you see the connection, it's very beautiful connect, a very beautiful universe, you know? That, that's, that's how I look at things. Yeah. You have been teaching in LaSalle for 16 years and impacted hundreds of creative minds in Singapore. What is the trend that you see from last time, like, for example, my time 20 years ago and now? Yeah, it's a very good question. No? I mean, I remember as I, I, we were having this conversation about your old batch of people, right? So I know quite a few of them, right? You know, we were mentioning names. And then right now, I mean, like I said, the last time I taught in LaSalle was four years ago, but then I taught Nian students the, in the orientation uh, art, community art and orientation just a few months ago. And I can tell you something. Uh, the interesting thing is that I don't see any difference now. I feel that they're always very enthusiastic and passionate. But I think... I think what they need is someone they can trust to lead them the way. Mm. I feel that that's what's going on now, which I think, um, I think is what we need not just in education, but I think in in the in the society, it's just hard to find leaders like that. Not so much charisma because I think sometimes charisma can be a very uh, deceptive thing. You know what I mean? Because you can be a charismatic person doesn't mean you're a good person. Mm. But I feel that people who who have ability to communicate and and to win and trust of people. And, and, and by the by the way their their sincerity and their integrity i think that's that's the key for me and uh, i've learned that now uh, that during the i mean like i told you right the the, the few things i learned lecturing in LaSalle and lecturing is as as uh, education is never underestimate the youth that's the first thing you don't want to do the second thing is that um they are always full of energy and they and they excite me a lot that's one thing. And the third thing is that they always open the new ideas. So I feel that if you open them the new ideas at a younger age, uh, I think in many ways it will transform Singapore society for the better. And sometimes, I think because the our government is too busy doing other things, uh, they, they find it hard to see this. But I think for uh, those of us who are on the outside, we can tell that this is actually very beneficial. And hopefully in time to come, they will see it more and more beneficial. And we can do good work there. Because I feel that our youth is, I mean, your children and all too, they are really excited about things. No? And I think it would be a waste if that excitement goes away. Mm. I think we need to really instill that more, stimulate that, you know. Do you think the youth now are supported to be themselves? Um, actually, actually, um, the other day I saw, I saw um, Minister Lawrence Wong's speech on racism and race. And I think it was, in, that was in, I was very uh, inspired by what he said because I think that seems to be setting the stage for what's going to happen in the next period uh, the whole idea about how we have to admit the realities of what racism is you know how we feel about race and that that, 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 that is human nature in many ways that people have those feelings and 
we have to talk it out and find ways to because to me uh, because you know I, I've been I've been in seventies till now right I've never heard any minister speak like that before this is the first time I it's it's it's, it's like really a a watershed moment for me never no this is the first time so it's actually very new because uh, Mr Mentor Lee this is not the way he talks it's not his mm. attitude so it's actually very interesting for me but anyway what I'm, going, what I'm trying to say is that I'm hoping that there will also be a watershed mm. in the way people look at things because I think I, I kind of like don't like it when people look at things like training train, uh, like, 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 like motivating people to be good leaders and and to be more confident I don't look I don't like like I don't like it when people say it's a soft skill because it's really a, the most difficult skill to produce, you know. In a way, it's in a way uh, you can memorize stuff and do very well and get scholarships or whatever. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's possible. But I think developing to be an individual is actually the most difficult thing, you know. Evolving into a certain conscious being, uh, and that's what I want to do with art. That's what I want to do with what I want to do in my jobs. You see? But the things at this point of time that seems quite radical for the market right now. People do not know how to look at it in a certain way. They want to kind of like box it up and market it. Mm. That is my problem now. So in LaSalle, when, especially the time when you were in school, mm. in Goodman, right? It was free. Uh. It was a very free environment. Do you remember that? It was, mm. it was like a very kampong atmosphere. Mm. It's easy to talk about those things. Once you go into the new building, then everything becomes academic and cut and dry. Very hard. It's very ironical that with progress comes uh, not, not, not necessarily an evolving consciousness. It becomes more boxed in. So, so I'm, I'm hoping that in time to come, we can break that out again and get back to that again because I would love to do that with, um, with not just you, but even adults, they need something, right? And for me, art is a very good way of appreciating art and, and reading about art is a very good way to find out all those things about life and to grow, you know? That's, that's how I'm looking at it. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. This term, art imitates life, <laughs> right? So what's your plan next, especially during this COVID period where a lot of artists suffer but you're still producing music like you write you write about uh covid yes uh, what's your plan next yeah i'm planning i'm planning to uh, to come out with more music as usual but um of course my main aim is to try to get more permanent jobs teaching art education and right now, like I was, I was telling you at the beginning of the interview that um, I, there's a possibility I might still be able to do some in the poly. I hope that will happen because I, I thought in, I, I thought that that, that that few weeks in uh, Nian and I really, really love the students very much. They're very intelligent, very energetic and it's amazing. I'm, I, I still think about them all the time. I'm still in touch with them, you know. So that's what I want to do. I'm trying to get something more permanent as far as teaching arts education is concerned. But does it have to be arts education or anything that's connected to the arts that I can teach, I'll do it. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. To me, the whole idea is that it makes a difference to people. So that's really what I want to do this year, plus doing my music. And 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 also, um, the COVID industry for me, I think it's very interesting you know, that you mentioned this, Helen, because um, because of the COVID, right, a lot of musicians and artists, right, they, they really got affected. The drama department, the drama scene, right, and the music scene, right. But the the one thing, one blessing that I've 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 benefited from the COVID, the first thing is that, um, I I've always been more or less like quite a, I won't use the word reclusive, but I'm very much to myself. I don't spend much time with many people because I've always got all these things in my head I want to do, so I need time on my own. So I've not been very affected by the COVID in that sense because I've always been on my own. That's one, and the second thing is that um. Um, I was not reliant on society uh, uh, to support me. So I've never really been got funded by the government, except for in the Writers' Festival in 2018. And it wasn't that much money. Uh, not to say I'm not grateful, I am. 
but it was not much money. And uh, so I've, I've never relied on government systems to help me in my art. So I've always been on my own. So I don't feel any pinch about that. I, I can I still carry on making music, inspire everything. Rest people are very affected. So I think I've been very, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that um, I think people look at suffering uh, like, like, like it's a bad thing. Uh, but I think sometimes struggling and suffering is what you need to, to appreciate the fact that your life is very meaningful. I, I feel that sometimes without suffering, uh, you can't see the meaning in life for me. I'm very inspired by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl wrote Man's, Man's Search for Meaning. I mean, it's very, very powerful for me because he was a Holocaust survivor, tortured by the, you know, by the, the Nazis and all that. And he's still saying that it's all about meaning. So for me, uh, this is meaningful. I, I mean, I, I, okay, when I was in NUS, right, uh, it was the very huge major recession in, in Singapore's history, all right? But I was in NUS. When I came out in 1990, maybe, it was a job boom. So a lot of my year NUS fans, uh, they all became very rich very fast because they got jobs, they did very well. So all of them are like, you know, sitting on top of their kitty. I, I'm extremely poor, you know what I mean? I don't have much money. But the thing is that um, I have no regrets about taking my path because to me, that just wasn't meaningful to me. So that's what I meant by getting a thick skin. I, this is meaningful to me. I mean, have, if I if I if I did, went on that path, I wouldn't have met you. You know what I mean? If I went on that path, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And this is more meaningful to me than that. So it's very hard to quantify these things, you know. Exactly. So for me, this is what I want to do. So I've learned from then on that I have to listen to my own, my own, my own life. But then that means it incurs these other different kinds of struggles and sufferings, lah. But I think ultimately, in the end, everybody suffers. But it's just how meaningful your suffering is. So for me. Even when there are times where I, I was down and out, I mean, yeah, you can cry about it, you can get sad about it, you can get heartbroken about it. Like I can tell you now that um, the thing with LaSalle was quite heartbreaking for me because I was there for 16 years and then they just decided to get rid of all the part-timers, you know. So that was hard for me. But, but the thing is that, uh, why was I heartbroken? I was heartbroken because I loved, you know. I loved the school and I loved the students. That can't be bad, right? Whereas if they could have just, I could have just been numb. I feel that's what's happening now. There's this numb thing going on among people now and everybody is trying to put on this front which is not who they are mm. and to, 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 to kind of like keep themselves from falling apart. Mm. So that's the tough part for me. That's, the, that's hard for me to see. And to me, that's one reason why such a high level of, uh, such, a, such, a, such a high level of depression and suicides nowadays, not just in Singapore, around the world, right? Because there's no meaning, you know. But the thing is that Meaning and suffering come hand in hand. So that's what I learned. I learned that it comes hand in hand and I have to take the suffering because it gives me that meaning but at the same time it's hard but it's just the way it is, you know. I've learned that through my art and through my life. Is this making sense? Yes, making very much sense. Especially now with the youth suicide is all time yes, high. exactly. I think finding meaning in life is very important and also if you can express yourself that's also very key to mental health. Yes. And what do you think for people who think that they don't have creative talent or art, how do they, how can they express themselves? I mean, Kurt Vonnegut Jr., the writer, said this very interesting thing. He said that um, even if you're not good, uh, try to do something artistic. He says even you can't draw very well, you can't write very well. He says try to do something artistic because that will that will feed your soul. Mm. Right, that's the most powerful thing ever. No? Just do it because it feeds your soul. Yeah. Don't worry about what people think. And that is, that is, that's very inspiring for me. Yeah. I think that's very important. It's like you what you say, art is not just to paint a beautiful picture or creating a great artwork, but to express yourself 
your true self. And I think that's the voice. You are the voice that we need right now. Oh, thank you. Yeah, God bless you. <laughs> people really need to let out and express themselves, especially the youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to connect to something that you just said, Helen, which I think is important for me to say is that one of my favorite filmmakers is actually John Cassavetes. He's an American indie filmmaker, a great, great filmmaker. But it's very interesting because he said that, he said that his films deal with love, right? But he says that a lot of times people find it very hard to express it express they love someone accounting. I mean, I don't mean in the hallmark way, but just express. So his films deal with that. Isn't it? The whole idea that it's suffering, there's pain, but it's also joy and there's love, it's the whole thing. So his films always deal with that. And for me, I think that's what's wrong right now. I think everybody is just so distrustful and cynical, right? They are finding it very hard to express. But I can tell you now, in front of your podcast, hopefully, I don't know how many people will be listening, doesn't matter. But I think it's very important to show like you don't have to tell like students that you love them, but when you do something, uh, they can tell mm. that you're passionate and that you care. You know, you don't have to do it. And to me, this is something that's kind of missing now, which is why I said that uh, Minister Lawrence Wong's speech was important because he expressed the fact that we, we can be racist and we have to do something about it. And we have to try to have a common understanding of all the religions and beliefs and races to come to, a, to want to work things out. To me, that is acts of love, you know? to want to work things out. So I feel that a lot of things like this uh, is so easy to do, but it's difficult because of our inhibitions. Uh. We're just so afraid and distrustful. You know what I mean? So there are times where when I was in LaSalle, for example, I'm teaching, right? Sometimes students are wondering, is this guy for real? I mean, he doesn't know me very well, but how come he cares for me? Is he for real? And I realized that in time to come, if I'm really for real, they'll see it. Uh. Then if not, I'm, they'll call me a fake, but it's fine as long as I believe that I'm not a fake. Uh. So it's that thing, you know. But right now, right, to me, right, because about things that are trending, right, and then fashionable and all that, right, it's very difficult, you know, very di difficult to see the authenticity. Mm. So when you try to be genuine, uh, people tend to become a bit skeptical too. It's hard. It's very hard. But I feel that that's where the fight begins, uh, that we keep doing it and then people can see that, that it's possible to be genuinely authentic about your feelings without dressing it up and packaging it and just be who you are. That's what I want to do. And I find that that's where art is where it's at. I mean, you were in an art college before, you remember, right? We see all these great works of art, we're so overcome by tears, you know. I mean, what is it about this art? I mean, obviously it's art of love, right? That it moves us, right? I want to bring that into society, you know? And hopefully in time to come, I have more opportunities that way. Sorry for talking so much, but that's, I thought it was important to talk about it, yeah. Yes, it is important. In one of your interview, you mentioned mm. that you learned to shut off society. When did, yeah. when did it occur to you that it's necessary yeah. to do this for your sanity? I think uh, when I was in NUS, right, I had this incredible uh, Australian literature lecturer. He gave me the best advice. He said that, you know, a lot of what you do, some people will like it and some people will hate it. But he says what's most important is that you develop your own your own. Uh, you develop your own ideas about what you think things are and to grow a very thick skin. That's exactly what I meant. Because I think sometimes growing a thick skin means you have to shut off. You have to shut off from what the world is going through and just do your work and and not expect people to like it or not like it, but just to do it. And I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it's like, it's like being an example kind of thing. It's like living by example. I think maybe people can see by the way you live more than if you were to sell the work or in a certain way and because i'm not a businessman so that whole avenue is, is not not where i'm coming from but you think things in terms of the art then you 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 just concentrate on the integrity of what you're trying to do and just keep at it lah. 
So that's what I meant by shut out as in, because I think in the end, people will say all kinds of things to you. You know what I'm saying? And that may not be who you are. So that's why I'm, I'm saying that. I think what art has taught me uh, is the whole idea of the belief in your own individuality mm-hmm. of self to preserve the individuality. You know, you just get, you just get washed away or, you know, blown away by all kinds of uh, thinking, lah, trending or not or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just be who you are. And I think that's a, I don't know about you, but I think right now that's what we need even more during this period, right? Mm. To people who really are not afraid to be who they are because I think that's where the meaning lies for me. Yeah. It's very precious. This idea is very precious that we can capture it in podcast. I'm so glad. Now we come to the end of our conversation. One last question, Kelvin. When you look back at your life as an artist, you took the path less traveled. Do you have any regrets? Mm. Oh yes, I, 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 the biggest regret I ever did was, or ever had was I didn't take science and math seriously. As in, I, I wish I did because I think it's a beautiful subject in language. I wish I did that. Now I read about it in popular books, but it's not the same. Not the same as understanding the calculus and understanding physics. That's the only regret I have in my life. Uh, but I want to say this very important thing uh, is that um, I think people are very afraid to fail. But I think I realized that uh, what Samuel Beckett said in his play is very important. Uh, to, I think, I think he said to feel better in life. Uh. And I think that's what I'm doing. Uh. I'm just feeling better in life. And to me, when you take the route of feeling better, you realize that the, the word fail is incredibly meaningless. Because uh. to me, even if you fail, that failure is part of the experience. Uh. And the experience will make you a better person and bring meaning to you. So in that sense, because I have this attitude, I don't have any regrets. Mm, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, can see that, yes. you understand what I mean, right? As in, uh, 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 um, I'm not afraid of my failures. And then at the same time, I don't even think they're failures anymore. Mm. But then of course, people perceive me that way, but I don't have to worry about what people perceive me because this is about me trying to do what I want to do, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow, Kelvin, I think that's really inspiring. I realize we admire people who are true to themselves, right? Uh, unwavered by the critics or comparison trap. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to dig from you. <laughs> Through this conversation, I realize that you have a supportive yeah. parent. So parenting is very important. Yeah. What else do you think contribute to your sense of security? Yeah. And the other thing also on the end, and it's important for me to add is, it, it, it really is God too lah. It really is. Lah. I mean, um, um, I've been a believer since I was very young and I know a lot of cynics will listen to this and say, oh no, another one, right? But frankly speaking, I think they wouldn't say another one if they knew the person, the way the person lives. Because yeah. I know for a fact that if it wasn't for this, right, I think I would fall, fall apart decades ago. I wouldn't have the strength to do this, you know? So to me, it's that force, you know? It's the divine force. But I think it's the divine force also coupled with the challenge of society to... To, 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 to really, really try to be as honest in life as possible. And to me, that's something that, yeah, the divine can help you, but this is something that it's got to come out of you. Mm. You know, yeah. in the Old Testament, you see all these great prophets, right? I mean, the struggles they have, you know, people they have, that's why men. So to me, I think it's also that whole idea of uh, the sense of yourself and the sense of individuality to persist in your ideals, whether it is something to do with the divine or something to do with art and something to do with the existential because you can profess to be part of the divine but you may not have the will to yes. preserve what's true, right? So to me, it's this whole generally in-connectedness of all these things that, that I find uh, have 
have helped me and saved me la. and if it wasn't for that I think yeah I think I think I wouldn't survive today la. There's, there's no doubt yeah, about thank it thank you la. Kelvin yeah. for revealing that aspect I mean having a defined connection indeed gives a sense of security we know that we are created for a purpose so thank you so much Kelvin for spending time with me Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Helen. This it's good to see you. This content is very timely for this current situation. I'm sure a lot of people will be inspired by you. You think? I don't know. <laughs> I do the best I can. But 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 I wanted to do this also because I wanted to support you, you and you. empower thank you in what you do, Helen. So I'm, it's really good to meet you this way and thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. Just in time for National Day period. That's a wrap for our conversation with Kelvin Tan. This is the sixth episode of No Ordinary Story with me, Helen Lee. I'm a founder and creative director for Rosette Designs & Co, a wedding and event planning in Singapore. So I do this podcast as part of my own contribution to inspire anyone to pursue your calling. Honestly, it takes a lot of time to produce, so we are only doing it once a month. So see you next month.